1: On today's Alight on Literature, we continue by presenting the book Two Years in the Forbidden City by Princess Derling. Today, Malin narrates the tenth chapter, titled The Young Empress Part A. The much-prayed-for rain arrives and relieves Her Majesty's anxieties. The detailed description of a garden party held for the ladies of the diplomatic corps reveals Cixi's curiosity towards the outside world. It also expresses her determination to safeguard her values, as well as her stubbornness in the belief that the vulnerable Middle Kingdom was still innately superior to other civilizations.
2: Chapter 10 The Young Empress I thought of so many things while I was riding in my chair. It was a glorious day. I felt sorry for Her Majesty, for she was very quiet that day. Generally, she was happy and made everyone laugh with her. I thought about the branches of willow, too, but could not understand the meaning. I came out of the hall while Her Majesty was dining with the emperor and found the young empress sitting in a small room on the left side of the courtyard with several court ladies. When they saw me, they made signs for me to go there. I found them all drinking tea, and the young empress said to me, I'm sure you must be tired and hungry. Come and sit near me and have a cup of tea. I thanked her, and sat down beside her, and we talked of what we saw on the roads and how we had enjoyed our long ride. She said, We have still an hour's ride before we reach the Forbidden City. She also talked about the ceremony we had performed that morning, and said that we must all pray earnestly for rain. I could not wait any longer, so I asked her what those branches of willow meant. She smiled and told me that willow could bring water as the Buddhist religion believes and that it was an old custom of the court wearing willow leaves when praying for rain. She also told me that we must perform the same ceremony every morning until the rain came. We heard Her Majesty talking in the courtyard and knew that she had finished her lunching so we went in with the young Empress and ate what was left, as usual. I found the food very nice indeed, although it seemed rather funny without having meat. We came out into the courtyard and saw that Her Majesty was walking up and down. She said to us, "'My legs are so stiff, riding in the chair. I must walk a little before we leave here. Are you all tired?' We told her that we were not tired, so she ordered us to walk with her. It looked very funny to see us walking round and round, Her Majesty in front, and we following her. Her Majesty turned and smiled at us and said, We are just like horses taking their round at a stable. It reminded me of a circus. Li ling Ying came and knelt down and said that it was time for Her Majesty to depart in order to reach the Forbidden City at the lucky hour she had selected. So we left Wan Shou Si. All the chairs went very fast, and after an hour's ride, we came near the palace gate. We followed the Emperor's chair, taking a shorter route, and noticed the gate was wide open. His Majesty, the Emperor, and the young empress' chairs went in, but we had to alight and walk in. There were small chairs waiting for us, as I explained before, these little chairs were carried by eunuchs with a rope across their shoulders. We came to the courtyard of the audience hall where the emperor and the empress were waiting for us. As usual, His Majesty knelt in front. Behind him was the young empress' and we knelt in a row behind her, waiting to welcome Her Majesty to her palace. She went to her room, where the eunuchs had placed everything in order long before her arrival. We held the ceremony that afternoon and evening. After Her Majesty had retired, we came back to our rooms and found that everything was in order. Our eunuchs had made up our beds already. It was very nice to have them, for we could not do our own work at all. I was so tired, and my limbs were stiff. I immediately went to sleep and did not realize how long I had slept until I heard someone knocking at my window. I got up and pulled the blind away. I noticed that the sky looked dull and thought it was clouded. I felt happy and thought it might rain and so relieve Her Majesty. I got dressed in great haste, but much to my disappointment, I saw the sunshine on the opposite windows. The palace in the Forbidden City was so cold and built in such a queer way. The courtyards were small, and the verandas very broad. All the rooms were dark, no electric light. We had to use candlelight. One could not see the sky except by going into the courtyard and looking up. I found that I had risen before the sun was up, and I was not quite awake yet and thought the sky was clouded. I went to Her Majesty's own palace and found the young Empress already there. She was always the first and always looked so tidy I often wondered how early she had to get up. She told me that I was not late, although Her Majesty was awake but not up yet. I went into her bedroom and made my usual morning courtesy to her. First thing she asked me was about the weather. I had to tell her the truth that there was no sign of rain. Her Majesty got up, dressed and had her breakfast as usual and told us there would be no audience that morning. The emperor went to the temple sacrificing and there was nothing important to attend to. We prayed for three days in succession but no rain came. I found that Her Majesty was truly discouraged and ordered each of us to pray 20 times a day. We marked a spot with vermilion powder and a little water on big yellow sheets of paper each time we prayed. On the sixth day of the fourth moon, the sky was clouded. I ran to Her Majesty's bedroom that morning to tell her the news, but found that someone had told her already. She smiled and said to me, "'You are not the first one to give me the good news.' I know every one of you wanted to be the first to tell me. I feel very tired today and wish to lie down a little longer. You can go, and I will send for you when I'm ready to get up. When I went to search for the young empress, I found all the court ladies there also. They all asked me if I had noticed the rain we came out of the waiting room and found that the courtyard was wet and after a while it rained very fast. Her Majesty got up and we prayed as usual. Fortunately, the rain did not stop but came pouring down all that day. Her Majesty played solitaire with the dominoes and I stood at the back of her chair watching her. I saw that the young empress and all the girls were standing on the veranda. Her Majesty saw them too and said to me, Go and tell them to wait in the waiting room. Can't they see that the veranda is wet? I went to them, but before I had the opportunity of telling them anything, the young empress told me that the waiting room was wet and that the water had gone in. As I said before, this building was very old, and there were no drains at all. Her Majesty's own palace was high. It had 12 steps, while our waiting room, which was on the left side of her palace, was built right on the ground, with no raised foundation at all. While I was talking on the veranda just for a few minutes, I got quite wet. Her Majesty knocked at her glass window and told us to go in. Now I must explain that none of us, not even the young empress, could enter Her Majesty's palace without her orders, except we had work to do there or were on duty. Her Majesty was very happy that day. She laughed and said that we looked as if we had just been pulled out of the lake. The young empress had on a pale blue gown and the red tassel on her headdress, was dripping red water all over her gown. She smiled and said to us, Look at those girls, their gowns are all spoiled. While we were talking, Her Majesty gave us orders for us to change our clothes. After they had gone, I went to Her Majesty. She looked at me and said, You are wet also. Only your clothes do not show. I had on the cashmere dress, which was made very plain. She touched my arm and said, how wet you are. You had better change and put on a thick dress. I think foreign clothes must be very uncomfortable. The waist is too small and it seems to me out of proportion to the rest of the body. I'm sure that you will look much prettier in our menchu gown." I want you to change and put your Parisian clothes away as souvenirs. I only wanted to know how foreign ladies dressed, and now I have seen enough. The Dragon Boat Festival will be here next month, and I will make some pretty gowns for you. I thanked her by kowtowing to the ground and told her that I would be only too pleased to change into Menchu clothes. But having lived so many years abroad and having always worn foreign clothes, I had not had any made. We were planning to change into Menchu gowns before coming to the court, but we had received orders that Lao Tzu Tsong wished to see us in foreign clothes. I was very glad when I received that order, as there were several reasons why I wanted to wear Manchu gowns, First, the court ladies at the beginning treated us as outsiders. Secondly, I knew that Her Majesty did not like them. And besides, we were very uncomfortable living at the palace in Peking and made up our minds that we must wear Manchu clothes, which were made for it. We had so much work to do. And having to stand most of the time, one absolutely needed loose garments. Her Majesty ordered one of the eunuchs to bring one of her dresses for me to try on, so I went back to my own room and took off my wet clothes and changed. I tried on her gown, but it was too loose for me. The length was quite all right, and so were the sleeves. Her Majesty told one of the eunuch writers to write down my measurements in order to have a gun made for me, and said she was sure it would fit me. She did the same thing for my mother and sister, and ordered our guns to be made at once. I knew she was pleased, as she told me what color would suit me the best. She said that I should always wear pink and pale blue, for they suited and were her favorite colors, too. She also talked about our headdress and ordered some made the same as worn by the other court ladies. She said to me, I know you can wear my shoes, for I tried yours on the first day you came. Don't you remember? I must select a lucky day for you to become a Manchu once more. She said this with a smile. And no more foreign clothes after that. She took her special book for lucky days and hours and studied it a little while. Then she said the 18th of that month was the best. Li Liang-in, the head eunuch, knew how to please Her Majesty and said he would give orders to have everything ready for us at that time. Her Majesty told us the way we must have our hair dressed and what kind of flowers we should wear. In fact, she was very happy arranging to make us into Manchus. A short while after, she dismissed us for the day.
0: Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at Chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people.
2: It rained for three days without stopping. The last day the emperor came back and all ceremonies ceased. Her Majesty never liked to stay in the Forbidden City, and I was not a bit surprised, as I hated the place. We had to use candles to dress by in the morning, as the rooms were in absolute darkness, even in the middle of the afternoon. It rained so much that finally Her Majesty said that she would return to the Summer Palace the next day, whether it was raining or not, and we were all very glad to go. We returned to the Summer Palace on the 7th. It was a dull day, but no rain. We packed everything in just the same way we had done when we came and stopped at Wan Shou Si and had our lunching that day. We commenced to eat meat again. I noticed that Her Majesty enjoyed her meal very much. She asked me if I liked the food without meat, and I told her that everything was nicely downed and that I enjoyed the food very much, although without meat. She told me that she could not eat that kind of food and enjoy it, and that if it were not necessary to make sacrifice, she would not have abstained. The first garden party of the year was given by the Empress Dowager to the ladies of the diplomatic corps in the fourth moon. This year, Her Majesty desired to deviate a little from previous custom and issued orders that stalls should be arranged in the garden on a similar principle to a bazaar on which were to be displayed curious, embroidered work, flowers, etc., These were to be given as presents to the guests. The guests were Mrs. Conger, wife of the American minister, Mrs. Williams, wife of Chinese Secretary of the American Legation, Madame and Mademoiselle de Cossier, wife and daughter of the Spanish minister, Madame Uchida, wife of the Japanese minister, and a few ladies of the Japanese legation. Madame Almeida, wife of the Portuguese charge d'affaires. Madame Ganet, wife of the secretary of the French legation, the wives of several French officers. Lady Susan Tonley, wife of the first secretary of the British legation. Two ladies from the German legation, wives of German officers and wives of a few customs officials. On this occasion, Her Majesty selected a most beautiful gown of peacock blue, embroidered all over with phoenix. The embroidery was raised and each phoenix had a string of pearls, two inches long, sewed into its mouth. Whenever Her Majesty stirred, these strings of tiny pearls moved forwards and backwards and it made a very pretty effect. Of course, she wore her jade phoenix on her hair, as usual, and shoes and handkerchief embroidered with the same pattern. My mother wore a lavender silk gown, trimmed with silver braid. Her hat was of the same shade, with plumes to match My sister and myself wore pale blue Chinese silk gowns with insertion and medallions of Irish crochet and trimmed with tiny velvet bands. We wore blue hats with large pink roses. All the court ladies dressed in their most picturesque gowns and it was a very pretty sight to see the procession walking to the audience hall. Her Majesty was in her happiest mood that morning and said to us, I wonder how I would look in foreign clothes. My waist is very small, but uh, wearing this kind of loose gown, it will not show. I don't think I would need to squeeze myself so tight either, but I don't think there is anything in the world prettier than our Menchu gowns. First, the guests were received in audience by Their Majesties. They were accompanied by the Doyen, Baron Zikon, Minister for Austria, and an interpreter from each legation. On entering the audience hall, all the guests stood in line, and the Doyen presented a short address to Their Majesties. This was translated to Prince Ching, who in turn communicated it to The Emperor. The emperor made a suitable reply in Chinese, which was translated by the doyen's interpreter. Then the doyen mounted the steps of the dais and shook hands with their majesties. The rest of the guests being presented in turn, I was standing at the right hand of the empress dowager, and as each guest came forward, called out their names and the legation which they represented. Her Majesty had a few words for everyone, and when she saw a new face, she would ask how long they had been in China, whether they liked it, etc., etc. All these conversations I interpreted for Her Majesty. As the guests finished paying their respects, they passed along and remained standing in the hall until everybody had been presented. The interpreters who did not take part in this ceremony but had remained standing in the hall until it was over, were then conducted by Prince Ching to another part of the palace where refreshments were provided for them. After they had gone out, their majesties descended from the dais and mixed it with the guests. The formal ceremony now being concluded, chairs were brought in and everybody made themselves comfortable. Tea was brought in by the eunuchs, and after a few minutes' conversation, we all adjourned to the refreshment room, with the exception of the Empress Dowager, the Emperor, the young Empress, and the secondary wife. In the absence of Her Majesty, the Imperial Princess, the Empress Dowager's adopted daughter, officiated as hostess, Mrs. Conger, sitting at her right, and Madame de Garcia, wife of the Spanish minister, on her left. The food was all Chinese, but knives and forks were provided for the use of the guests. During the lunching, the imperial princess stood up and spoke a few words of welcome, which I translated into English and French. After the lunching was over, we adjourned to the garden where their majesties were awaiting us. A brass band was playing European airs,
1: And that was from the 10th chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City, written by Princess Ling and narrated by Man Ling. Join us next time on A Light on Literature for the second part of the chapter.
0: sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese.